0: You're live on The Talking Point. Thanks for staying with us today. Yeah, look, one of the voice notes, I don't remember praising the Integrity Committee. That's certainly not part of what I did. I was just um, recognising some of the decisions that were made and putting them out there uh, in terms of the general conversation that we're having this morning. Well, let's turn our attention now to some of the developments around the public protector. It's a big, important national story. Karen Moore is a a journalist with News24 who joins us on the line. Karen, a very good morning to you. Thanks for having me it's a pleasure to be speaking to you I think before we get you know into this conversation around the public protector um, we were speaking to Terry Oakley Smith just a couple of minutes ago who was talking on the subject of reconciliation day and this concept of white allyship and I know that in a lot of what you do it's a concept that you know it may not necessarily have been called that way or that you would have been thinking about it in that context as you were doing what you were doing but what does it mean to you as a white South African to be able to extend a hand to black South Africans when it comes to being part of the reconciliation project?
1: I think the most important thing for me is to um, go very much push against the idea of like a white savior and that somehow just because you acknowledge the blatant obvious fact of how systemic racism continues to impact the life of black people today, that something like apartheid, colonialism, those decades, those centuries of subjugation don't change uh, just because we have 25 years of democracy doesn't make me like a good person. It just makes me someone who acknowledges and recognizes the simple truth of the fact that I as a consequence of being white, as a consequence of all the benefits that have accrued to my family over generations, I'm already in a far better position than you know, pretty much uh, many black people my same age, my, in my same profession. And that requires of me that acknowledgement to do everything I can to, to support and, and recognize the achievements of the black professionals in this space you come up against so much that I never expect to succeed. And I think that, you know, one of the most profound experiences of my life, and you will know this, is, is doing those podcasts with the victims of apartheid, atrocities, and these families, Kathy, who still don't know what happened to their brothers, their sisters, their children who live in this constant state of pain because they don 't have answers about, for instance, the murders of Nor- uh, the disappearance of Nokatula uh, Similani and her suspected murder the you know philandrea 's son who 's grown up without a mother because she was she was killed when he was two months old uh, you know family members who stand outside ANC events with posters with their their son 's name on it wanting to know what happened to him i mean these are the realities of our country at the moment, and i I always am just so broken by the fact that as a white journalist, people, the family members who have gone through this hell, have the generosity and the kindness to talk to me and tell me their stories and express Mm. their pain. Mm. Because it is, that is exceptional generosity. And I feel like, I don't know, I mean, I get tearful when I talk about this because I just, it's mind-blowing to me that people who have gone through what they have gone through are still so extraordinarily kind to me Mm. and so I'm to God that I get the opportunity in some small way to tell these stories and to acknowledge the pain of people that people are still going through but I don't think of myself as as special because I do that I just think of myself as deeply blessed and deeply humbled by the generosity and the heroism and the courage of those people
0: on 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 the the other side of course is being able to extend these conversations right beyond just yourself and um having these conversations with your community and and i know that you do this quite passionately passionately (coughs) and often in very uncomfortable spaces from your experience why do you think it is so hard in particular for white people to have conversations around you know what this reconciliation project should need to look like in order for it to be effective and to, to, to take on issues such as white privilege and um, the things that are afforded to them simply because of their race. It's such an interesting conversation and if, if one looks
1: at like for instance the politics around Donald Trump. I mean I read this this great article about you know the politics of Trump and it, it spoke about the politics of grievance. And the sense in which, you know, oftentimes you, you encounter a lot of people who are actively engaged with the world and really think, because it's, I don't think it's possible to perpetuate continuous and determined racism if you are, if you actually actively go out and seek to understand your own situation and seek to educate yourself. I don't think that's possible. I think that if you are a person who is engaged with the realities of the world, if you simply talk to people and recognize that not everyone had their university fees paid for by their parents, not everyone, you know, doesn't have an experience of, I mean, I remember one of the most startling things for me as a young person, realizing this concept of black tax, that my friends were having to, as young people, young professionals, make contributions to their parents, whereas my reality was very different, and if I needed money, I would phone my dad. And that, that you know, those kind of things. If you engage with the world, it's not possible to, to be blind to what, Apartheid has done and continues to do in the lives of black people today, but I feel like this thing of you know you you need to call out racism when it is presented to you because as a white person, this thing about when people say you know say racist things, if you don't, you're aligning yourself with that. Your your silence is is complicity, and I have experienced. Some adverse reaction, to <laughs> you know this, um, but in the end of the day, like I can't. It's it's not possible. Having seen what I've seen, and as reporters, and you know this, having experienced the realities of of poverty in this country, the gross inequality that exists, and to to just keep quiet when people do not acknowledge that the root of of pretty much everywhere we we sit at the moment is a direct consequence of those years of structured unequal education structured unequal um opportunities structured unequal healthcare systems um housing land etc cetera, etc cetera. it's it's not possible to not acknowledge that and if you don't um And if you you don't stand up when those kind of ignorant views are put forward, you are perpetuating the problem. Because the sad thing is that people who hold on to those belief systems are just denying themselves um, the opportunity to be part of changing this country and contributing. And by acknowledging is the first step to to real transformation and a genuine transition into a society that's more equal, which is what we all want Mm -hmm. and
0: what we should all be fighting for. Oh, Karen, I've hijacked you there. So let's <laughs> <laughs> let's 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 go back then to the public protector. <laughs> <Yes, laughs> After that little intro, you know, just a a, a, a short um, a short ad break before we we got into why we had actually called you. But thank you for sharing that because I thought off the back of the conversation we had with Terry, it would mm-hmm. it would be important to actually add to the conversation because you know. Terry has been a great white ally, and you have been a great white ally to the struggles of many black people in different places in corporate South Africa. And, uh, you know, the kind of support that you have offered will probably not necessarily always be known about, but I knew that it was something that you've actually lived, and therefore you can actually speak to it. So, the public protector then, in court mm-hmm. um, in January over perjury charges, and a whole lot of other things around her developing yesterday. Sum it up all for us.
1: Well essentially what happened was in the morning the Constitutional Court um dismissed her lead to appeal application um against uh you know, her attempt to subpoena the former President Jacob Zuma's tax records from SARS, um, simply finding that she hadn't uh, made a basis for the constitutional court to intervene um in that particular case, not closing the door on her potentially um bringing a further application with regards to that. Integrally, though, very importantly, the court reversing a personal cost order of 15% awarded to her in the Pretoria High Court and speaking out very strongly against what they've described as the disturbing trend of um, the High Courts issuing these personal costs against her. In the hours that followed, um, you know, we, we saw this, uh, this charge sheet and summons, um, you know, sort of permeating every WhatsApp group known to man um, and essentially late last evening, the MPA confirming that a summons has been issued for advocate Boussisiwe M. Kobani to appear in the Pretoria High Court in January to answer to three counts of perjury related to affidavits that she filed um, in that crucial uh, South African Reserve Bank constitutional and high court case, um, in which it said that she effectively lied under oath, uh, specifically in regards to things that she had with the president um, in relation to that report. We know, of course, that she recommended that the constitutional mandate of the Reserve Bank be changed um, and she said that there was a subsequent judgment with regard to two separate judgments um, and that she was ultimately found by the Constitutional Court to, to have acted in, in bad faith in that matter. And actually, um, that case becoming the first in which the Constitutional Court actually endorsed Um, the issuing of a personal cost order against her with regard to um, allegedly egregious conduct. The uh, the ante has been upped, and she is now
0: facing uh, criminal charges over that particular report. Karen, does this mean that um, she is likely to face suspension? Can the president take any action against her if he wanted to as a result of these perjury charges?
1: Well, Cathy, we know that Parliament is engaging in an inquiry process to determine whether she should, in fact, face, um, you know, potential uh, inquiry into her fitness to hold office. We know that she's brought um, several or two different legal challenges to try and interdict that process and then subsequently to to challenge the rules of it. Um, But there has been, you know, a suggestion that should Parliament, uh, under the rules of this particular process, make a determination um, that, that this the there'd be a determination that there is a case for her to answer if she should face an inquiry. Um it would then be up to the president to make a decision whether or not to suspend her. But the, the, the criminal charges issue, I mean, is, is very serious. Um and because it relates to perjury, which is at the heart of an advocate's, um, you know, effective functioning and integrity, um, you know, there, there is a there is a there is a um it will add to the pressure um, that will be, you know, that is already there because of this pretending um, pre, pre-emptive inquiry process. We don't know how she's going to um, react to this criminal. Uh these criminal charges. Her office is declining to comment at this point whether or not she will choose to bring some form of legal challenge to it. But because of this is a, this is you know this is obviously within the realm of criminal justice and it is fundamentally about her honesty and integrity. Um, it is a very very serious development in in a situation in in which she is already under significant pressure and facing the imminent prospect of a, of an inquiry into her fitness.
0: All right, Karen, let's leave it there, at least for now. I'm sure there will be plenty of developments around this story in the coming days. So that's the latest then when it comes to the public protector. She is the head of a Chapter 9 institution, so an important developments to keep an eye on.